the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com. Andy, your book, uh, Ball of Collusion, uh, tells the story of the plot against Donald Trump that began during the 2016 campaign and then continued after after Trump's election. And um, the hardest thing to do uh, from your standpoint must have been deciding when to stop writing the book and send the manuscript to the publisher because the story has continued to to evolve and continues to evolve. Yeah, John, there's nothing worse than trying to write something about a history that's still unfolding. And I have to say that my plan for the book actually changed a number of times uh, during the period of time I wrote it. I, I originally thought I would write a kind of a treatment of the Clinton emails investigation and the Trump-Russia investigation because I had done a lot of columns on that over the last uh, three-plus years. And then just defy uh people of goodwill, objective people, to say that both investigations got the same quality of justice. So that was my original plan. But I dove into the Trump-Russia stuff, and it seemed to me there was so much of it that was worth uncovering that I don't, don't think it's been adequately treated, like the, you know, the politics of Ukraine, uh, the, the FISA law and the implications of it. Uh, that if I had tried to do my original plan, I think the book would have been a thousand pages, and I'd still be writing it. And and as we as we talk here today, Andy, and this could change in a matter of hours or days, but as we talk here today, there are two investigations that are continuing: investigations into the into the origin of the uh, anti-Trump uh, effort. Um, and one is being carried out by uh, Horowitz, the inspector general of the uh, Department of Justice, and the other by U.S. attorney John Durham. Let me ask you real quickly about the invest- uh, inspector general uh, investigation. We've been expecting that for a while. Uh, has it been delayed? And if so, why? I think the delay, John, is simply the fact that it's probably – uh, a massive investigation or a massive report. Remember the Hillary emails report, I think, ran between five and 600 pages, if I'm remembering that right. And I think this one will be bigger. It's got more classified information issues in it because of the nature of it. And I think just the, the physical problem of getting the report out the door with everything redacted in a careful way. I remember when I was a terrorism prosecutor, there's nothing worse than uh, making disclosure in a national security case because, you know, you think that you've um, crossed all the T's and dotted the I's, but you also always have the feeling that if you leave the wrong three or four words in, that you tip off the bad guys to something that they'll 
recognize that you don't, and then the next thing you put people in danger. So it's I don't envy them having to, you know, the task simply of getting this out the door, but I don't think we're far from it. I think, you know, within two, three weeks we'll have it. And how would you just briefly sum up the scope of that Inspector General investigation? Yeah, it's a great question because I think, you know, people look at the two investigations and figure they're almost mirror images of each other because they're looking at the same facts, but they're really not. The inspector general has a a more narrow jurisdiction. Uh, He's really looking at the Justice Department and its component agencies like the FBI uh, and misconduct as opposed necessarily to criminality uh, in connection with that. So any abuse of power, any uh, misconduct in, in the conduct of the investigation and so forth, but it's really strictly limited to the Justice Department agencies and the use of their authority, whereas I think the Durham investigation is a broad prosecutor's look at anything that might be relevant to the genesis of the Trump-Russia investigation. It very much includes the intelligence community and a prosecutor like Durham, as opposed to an inspector general like Horowitz, uh, has a lot more power to compel evidence, including, you know, using the grand jury, uh, search warrants, and and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's a much broader investigation than just the targeted inspector general investigation, even though I think that's pretty massive in scope in this instance. So I'll ask you to get out your crystal ball here for a minute, Andy. You know, some people are trying to lower expectations, I think, of the Horowitz uh, DOJ Inspector General report. What do you think? Is it going to be a bombshell? Is it going to shake things up or or not? I think it'll shake things up. I I, I imagine, John, that um, you know we, we should glean what we can from the last big report we saw from Horowitz on the emails case. I thought in that instance the fact finding was very well done. I didn't agree with the way uh, Horowitz drew his conclusions, some of which I thought were murky, uh, but I thought the fact finding was very good. Here I expect to get uh, equally good fact-finding, and I think we'll get a little bit more bite in the conclusions, both because Horowitz knows that the Durham investigation is coming behind him. So, you know, he, it's almost as if his work is going to be checked this time, and he's, you know, he's got an incentive, I think, to, to be very thorough, not that he wouldn't be. But the other thing, John, that, that I think a lot of us have uh, not focused enough on is Horowitz asked, for more oversight authority during the Obama administration of the national security components of the Justice Department and was basically rebuffed by Sally Yates at the Justice Department. And I think he's got kind of an incentive to say, you know, look, if you had had the adult leadership and supervision that I was recommending you have, a mess like this might never have happened. Very interesting. Now, the Durham report is the is the wider ranging one. And in some respects, Durham has got uh, better investigative powers. Now, I saw a a news flash uh, just this morning that uh, to the effect that based on new evidence uncovered in Rome, uh, the the scope of the Durham investigation is being is being broadened. Uh, What's the new evidence? Do we know? You know, John, I wonder what they mean by the investigation being broadened, because I I look at it this way as somebody who, you know, used to do investigations for a living for a long time. If you were setting out to investigate the the genesis 
of the Trump-Russia investigation. And we know, and I detail this in the book, that the genesis of the investigation is basically strands of foreign intelligence that come into the CIA beginning in 2015 and eventually down the line become the FBI investigation by July of uh, 2016, then naturally that process is going to be part of your investigation. And Brennan and Clapper were both called as witnesses by Congress in connection with, the, you know, collusion allegations. So why on earth anyone should think that that wouldn't have been part of Durham's investigation is baffling to me. I, I always assumed he was looking at this. Yeah, I'm not clear on that either. But but the new evidence, is, I, I think the new evidence may be a couple of cell phones that were used by Joseph Mifsud, uh, which apparently yeah. have been reclaimed from an Italian intelligence. What, what do we know about that? Uh, I don't know that we know much other than what you've just described, but what I would characterize that as is in uh, in an investigation, normally, you know, you follow the leads where they take you, and if it turns out that they take you to evidence that uh, that either you didn't anticipate or you did anticipate, but it turns out to be more consequential than you thought it would, you know, naturally that leads to uh, other avenues of investigation, and they have to be pursued. So I assume that that's what's going on here. But again, it's to me, it's pretty natural, linear ABC investigation. And I, I just think um, to, to describe it as I've seen in the media as an expansion of this investigation, when it looks like it's, it's simply you know, following the leads where they naturally go, uh, evinces a little bit of misunderstanding about how investigations work. We're talking with Andy McCarthy. Andy, we've got just about a minute before the break. Let's just reset uh, for, for our listeners. Joseph Mifsud is this shadowy guy who maybe was a Russian yeah. agent, maybe was a U.K.-U.S. Uh, source. And, and just very briefly, what was his role in the genesis of this thing? Boy, boy John, I think he's the most interesting figure in a story that's chock-a-block with them. He is the guy who was the source of this information to Papadopoulos, allegedly, uh, that the Russians had thousands of emails of Hillary Clinton. Uh, uh, Mifsud himself denied that when he was interviewed by the FBI and yet has never been charged with uh, false statements, even though one thing we know about Bob Mueller's investigation is he knows how to bring a false statements case. Um, and the other interesting things about this are um, he does seem to have at least as good, if not better, connections to uh, Western intelligence services than Russian intelligence. Jim Comey wrote in an op-ed in the Washington Post in the last few months that he was a Russian agent. I don't think there's any evidence for that, and certainly uh, there wasn't in the Mueller report. Um, and, you know, the interesting question, of course, you hope that this is not what happened, uh, but was this a guy who was being run by Western Intelligence Services who was loaded up with uh, some information that he gave to Papadopoulos, who then tootled over to somebody else who was being run by Western Intelligence Services and, you know, spilled the information he had been loaded up with? That's the cynics version of what may have happened here, and obviously it's one of the things they need to be looking at. And it's been reported in, in the press that Mifsud has disappeared. Is that, is that really true? I mean, that, that's a shocking fact, if it's reality. Yes, yeah, so much so far as I understand, the people who uh, are close to Mifsud, uh, who are 
they tend to be uh, in Europe, and I think uh, Italy was where he usually hung his hat. He uh, worked at this link university uh, in Rome. Uh, but people who know him say he's gone underground. And what the reporting we've heard about Barr and Durham's investigation is uh, that before he went underground, he made some statements to Italian intelligence that the American authorities have now been given access to. And apparently two cell phones recovered. So it's like a James Bond novel. I mean, we'll see where all that right. leads. Andy, in the time we've got left, I want to talk to you about impeachment and, and starting with the uh, with the process. There was a uh, just two minutes ago, as we were on the air during the commercial break, there was a, a news crawler on the television screen that said that this morning uh, some Republican congressmen tried to force their way into the closed door impeachment hearing that the Democrats were conducting, right. demanding transparency. You know, th- this is a, a crazy process, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. And what it highlights, John, is that this is really politics masquerading as law. You know, nobody can tell the House how to conduct an impeachment hearing in the sense of a court ordering them to do it some way or another. Uh, The Constitution commits it completely to the House of Representatives. But as a number of us have been arguing, uh, the House of Representatives is not the Speaker of the House, nor is it a cabal of House uh, chairmen of committees that are doing the laboring law on the so-called impeachment inquiry. The House acts as an institution when it votes, and it hasn't voted on this. So what I think the Republicans are trying to do politically is highlight the fact that this has not ever been an inquiry that was uh, conducted by the House as an institution, and it's being conducted in a way that is completely foreign to anybody's conception of due process and certainly the precedents of due process that have attended prior impeachments. Uh, so I, I applaud them for highlighting that, um, and I think what ultimately is in the Democrats' interest, if they really want this to be a legitimate impeachment effort rather than a kangaroo court, is they have to grant some due process, and they have to do this out in the open instead of in a star chamber. I've heard Adam Schiff compare this to, you know, he's at the grand jury phase. This is nothing like a grand jury. Grand juries are secret because they're uh, there's a presumption of innocence that applies in criminal proceedings. This, by contrast, is a political uh, proceeding that's being conducted by the people's representatives about the people's business. And it has they have no business doing it behind closed doors like this. And let's just expand on that, Andy. Uh, so as I understand it, the way this is being done is that the Democrats are running this process, Republicans apparently not even in the room, and the Democrats will summon a witness. The, the witness will go in there and apparently give some kind of testimony, answer questions. Uh, but it's not reported publicly. But what does happen is that the, re, the, the witness may prepare written testimony. And the Democrats, if they, if they want to, will then leak that written testimony to the press, which is what happened with this guy, uh, Taylor, yesterday. Is that accurate? Does that sum up the process the Democrats are following? John, I'm not sure that it's true that Republicans aren't in the room. I think that Republicans who are in the committee that are conducting the investigation can be in the room, but other Republicans from other committees have tried to crash the proceedings in order to highlight the fact that they're being hidden from the public. And it's customary for witnesses who testify in congressional proceedings to provide uh, a written 
statement of, of testimony before they get questioned. But what the Democrats are doing here is people are being questioned for hours and hours and hours. And what they're doing is cherry-picking a few lines here, a few lines there, and the, and the opening, you know, the written testimony, if it's helpful to them. And they're leaking that out while at the same time in, insisting on strict enforcement of their rules against Republicans publicizing anything that's uh, attended to the proceedings. So it's really, um, it, it's unseemly the way it's being done. Where do you see this going, Andy? I mean, I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I, I assume that, that that this whole thing wouldn't be going on if the Democrats hadn't already made the decision that at some point they're going to vote articles of impeachment against the president. Is is that right, or does that assume too much? No, I think you're exactly right. They are going to he's going to be impeached. I'd say there's a you know 95 percent or more chance of that at this point. Um, it seems to me, John, that. From the moment he stepped into the Oval Office, before he ever stepped in, they determined in their own minds that he was unfit. And this has been a three-year ex- expedition in trying to find some act that they could plausibly pitch as an impeachable offense so that they could hang on it their predisposition that the president is unfit. So I just think, you know, this, is for, this has been an outcome that's been in search of a predicate for three years, and now they think they have one. Uh, but the illegitimacy with which they're going about this, I think, is going to bring not only great discredit to this particular impeachment effort, uh, you have to worry about what it's going to do for governance in the future, because if they think this Ukraine thing is impeachable, then I don't see any president who wouldn't be in an impeachment scenario. I think substantively it's ridiculous. Andy, we've got just 30 seconds left. What do you think the Senate should do when the Democrats do vote articles of impeachment? Well, it depends on what the posture is when they get the case. I mean, presumably at some point we're actually going to have some open hearings and we're going to know uh, what this is about. Um, and I, then I think McConnell is going to have to be guided by, uh, you know, the election calendar and, uh, and how much of a trial he thinks it's worth having andy mccarthy we're out of time thank you very much for being with us hey thanks for listening to the town hall review with hugh hewitt our podcast is sponsored by alliance defending freedom adf provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated but they can't do it without your help call 800-691-8969 that's 800-691-8969 or visit townhallreview.com